Star Wars Action News is brought to you in part by Dorkside Toys. At DorksideToys.com, you can get the latest Star Wars toys, as well as Marvel, G.I. Joe, The Walking Dead, and more. Run by toy fans, you can be assured your order will be given great attention and packed with care. Sign up to their social channels now for stock alerts, reviews, and toy and movie news. DorksideToys.com. You'd be a dork not to shop there. Welcome to Star Wars Action News, your source for Star Wars collecting news, reviews, and updates, hosted by Marjorie and Arnie, helping Star Wars collectors collect better. Be sure to check out our website at SWActionNews.com, where you can see photos of the items discussed, chat with other Star Wars Action News listeners, and much more, including information on how you can be part of the show. Hello and welcome to episode 451 of Star Wars Action News. I'm Marjorie. I'm Arnie, and we are back. It's our first show since our celebration coverage. Celebration kind of took it out from us, and then we went to C2E2 right after that. And now we're at Wizard World St. Louis. Yes, hence the slightly muted and muffled background noise. It's, it's, I'd maybe call it a background murmur. There's like four people. We are here on Saturday at Wizard World St. Louis, and we have been every year since this inaugural show, what, three years ago? Yeah, I think it was about three years ago, and it was in March, and we were going to stay for two days, but we hightailed it home because there was a surprise two-foot snowstorm that just started happening. We're like, yeah, we're not going to be stranded, so let's go home. And we were told at that time from Jerry, their PR person, they were going to have it later next time to avoid snowpocalypses like that. And so they had it in, I believe, April last year. Yeah, it was in April, and it was fine. I mean, it was a nice temperature outside. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. I think we even went out out to dinner afterwards and sat outside. Yeah, I believe it was like the weekend right after C2E2 then, if memory serves. It was pretty close. Well, this weekend, (laughs) it's Memorial Day weekend, and each year the con has gotten a little smaller. The first year, there were some pretty big-name guests. Stan Lee was headlining. This year, Haley Atwell is headlining. There's, you know, a little bit of... Is it headlining, or is she just the most famous person here? One in the same to Wizard World. The floor here was entirely small. There were about a dozen toy vendors, but, wow, there was just so little here. We actually did the entire show floor, and we languished and went into booths and looked at stuff and talked to vendors about prices and we were done in three hours actually you're being awful generous we were technically done in 90 minutes you had to come back to pick up a sketch but we were done with the show floor in 90 minutes i think you're counting the time walking from the car maybe parking in the parking garage yeah i am counting that okay because we walked in the door at 10 40 and we were out by noon <laughs> all right well Needless to say, I wondered a couple of things. First, how would a con go on Memorial Day, a time when people are traditionally spending it with family and 
having cookouts and that sort of thing. And the other question was, how many conventions can Wizard World do? Well, let me answer your first question. People are out cooking with family and doing things like that because this is a very sparsely attended convention for attendees and for vendors. I mean, you said yourself there's about a dozen vendors. And for those of you who are sportsy and play the foosball and all that, this is being held in the stadium where the Rams play. So the turf is all ripped up and it's a cement floor. We're in the bowl where the Rams play. I don't know what this is called. It used to be the TWA Dome. I don't know what it's called anymore. Yeah, it has changed names. Like five times. But so they've got the entire football field as the convention floor. Plenty of space to walk around, and I would say a good quarter of it is chairs, and then another quarter of it's made up of the autograph area and the photo op area, and then the rest is booths. Yeah, and included in those booths, about 50% is Artist Alley, too. A good, well, maybe a third of it. Yeah, I think about 30%. They were very short aisles where they had Artist Alley, and this is an odd convention because... There's a lot of booths here that I think didn't quite understand what the convention was. Like, I, I want to give this guy major props, though. There is a guy who's selling those screens you put over your gutters so you don't get leaves in your gutter. I think they're called, like, Leaf Guard or something. Not the appropriate convention to sell that item, I would think. But he is dressed like the Hulk today. He painted his body green. He's wearing ripped clothes. So I give him kind of thumbs up for that. There was also a booth for LASIK eye surgery. I really was frightened when I walked by and the lady said, would you like to enter to win free LASIK surgery? Now, neither of us wear glasses, so we had no outward appearance of any visual impairment that would require LASIK surgery. And then for anyone who's watched King of Queens, you know exactly the ramifications of LASIK surgery with a coupon, let alone free. I would not, for example walk by and somebody says oh would you like a free kidney removal no <laughs> i make all my medical decisions to pick all my medical providers based on who i see at conventions honestly my feeling is this first of all i knew before we got here tickets weren't selling well every major st louis outlet the newspapers the radios all had giveaways for free tickets and then over the week 10 percent off tickets and then today 15% off tickets. So. And a friend of ours bought a ticket, and I think he wanted, I want to say he paid like 15 to $20 for his ticket. Obviously, attendance was going to be down, but being here, I think that they would rent a booth to anyone who would come. I mentioned the size of Artist Alley, but that was also full of self published books and wire work and. Any type of thing someone made was something that they felt was appropriate at Artist Alley. And not only were there gutters and LASIK surgery, custom-fitted shower stalls. Well, of course, because I was thinking of getting the bathroom remodeled in the guest room, and so I thought we'd come here and find somebody to do a retrofit of the tub. Are they just setting up for, like, a home builders thing next week and they're early? If I could find a landscaper here, we'd be set. There's the Riverfront Times here. There's a lot of booths. They're selling those. What are those sugar animals? They're called sugar gliders, and they're like flying squirrels that can glide like 150 feet in the air. I don't think, again, this is the appropriate avenue. I don't think you should sell animals like that anyway because 
they're going to go into someone who's maybe going to lose them. Their dog's going to eat them. I mean, they're freaking adorable. They come in, like, gray, and then there's, like, grayish and black and brown. My dog would eat them. I think pet decisions should be thought out. You hear the stories, and they're horrible stories, about how bunny sales go up every Easter, and then, like, a month later, free bunnies. People can't find homes for them. They're not cared for. They're locked in cages. They get mange or their fur starts falling out. I mean, you have to not just go, oh, I like comic books. Oh, that's a cute squirrel. I'm going to buy it right now and not realize that you're making a commitment to a living thing and not buying an action figure. They also had a booth with snakes and owls and hawks. They weren't for sale. They were just hanging out. Don't get it, but okay. I did buy some action figures. I bought four episode one Comtech action figures because Marjorie told a story about Jar Jar on the way down and I realized I don't think I have that carded. Five bucks. Well, Dale had told me that, and he posted on Facebook, that they go for like $20, $25 and he found one for $8 and they ended up getting it for 5 so he found a bargain and I'm like, there's a whole bin of them here, I guess I'll buy some. Yeah, and picked up a couple others and then I picked up another figure that... Anyone who's going to Wizard World Chicago will talk about there, but I did buy five Star Wars figures, all from the 90s. Yeah, because that's what we do. Newer figures, they did have some new Black Series figures here from anywhere from 25 to 50 per figure. The most expensive things I saw were some of the Rebels 2-packs that they wanted 55 to 65 per 2-pack for. So... The new stuff, you're still paying a high premium. The old stuff, they can't hardly give it away. Both vendors had, like, glee in their eye when they saw me walk up with some of those unloved figures. Well, while you look at figures, sometimes I make friends with the vendors. And some of them I've seen repeatedly at different shows, and they know us. And they kind of mentioned that this was a really, really light con, and they didn't know if it was because of holiday weekend or if maybe there are so many comic book conventions going on in the country at any given time that attendees are spread too thin. And the vendors said they get spread too thin as well because, you know, they have to pick and choose what they go to where they're going to make the money. I've heard certain artists and things complain with dissatisfaction, specifically with Wizard. Cosplay groups were complaining a while back because they weren't able to get, like, cosplay passes anymore. They had to pay for attendance. Artists, I think... At some cons, artists are given free tables because they're a draw to the convention. And at other conventions, I think Wizard World is one of them, from what I've been told from a couple artist friends, they view it like you're a vendor. You're a vendor that goes in the artist rows, but you're a vendor, you're making money, you pay for a table. They're also a publicly traded company, whereas another comic book convention exhibitor company is not. And that's what I wonder if may have really impacted this convention. According to their website, they are doing 28 conventions now. They just had one, and the next one, it's actually in China, and it's next weekend. And then two weeks after that in Des Moines, one week after that Sacramento. They had two the same weekend. The same weekend as Sacramento, I believe they were in Albuquerque, and then they just announced that the Albuquerque one was moved. It's now... Next June 2016, they're refunding autograph tickets and such. Because, I mean, having two Wizard Worlds the same weekend, we kind of laugh that certain celebrities go on the Wizard World tour. 
like Michael Golden, the comic artist, he is at every Wizard World show. Well, if they have two the same weekend, all of a sudden, the staple of Wizard World can't literally be in two places at once. And I wondered if they're spreading themselves a little thin. From what you're telling me from the vendor, that may be the case. Yeah, I really expect in the next five years that the bottom's going to drop out of comic book conventions because they're not cheap to go to. I mean, Wizard World was the last holdout in Chicago as far as, you know, relatively affordable ticket price. And the last two years, it's gone up and it's crazy where people don't even go anymore. But I just think that... You know, I, I want to clarify. A ton of people go. Certain specific people we've talked to have said they're opting out because of the price. Yes, there you go. Opting out because of the price. But people only have so much money. And eventually, because you've got like WonderCon and Wizard World and packs and everything. Emerald City, WonderCon, San Diego, lest we forget. We'll talk about that more later. But eventually people are going to have to really pick and choose instead of going to one every few weeks because a lot of people do. It's not just us. A lot of people do go back and forth and hey, it's only a few hours away. You want to go for the afternoon? Because it's affordable. But that's going to stop eventually once they're so prolific. The other thing, and I've read this on Twitter uh, from specifically comic book people like uh, the writers Dan Slott and Brian Michael Bendis, they said that there are so many conventions that were making demands of their time that they were going to a show every weekend and they were, you know, flown there. It cost them nothing. It made them money to do so. But it was interfering with their own writing and they have drastically cut back the number of conventions they do to two or three select ones a year. And you've got to think that the bottom can fall out on how many conventions the real names can do, you know? Your D-listers who used to be in television 25 years ago, they've got nothing better to do. I'm talking about you, Lou. So <laughs> big draw names can't possibly do all of these. No, it's going to be just, well, where you have Haley Outwell is the biggest star at a convention. That's what's going to happen. Or your biggest star is going to be some guy who wore a Stormtrooper costume because he posed for a Topps card or something. And, well, some people that might be a draw, but it's not going to bring in your general public. And once the general public stops going and it's back to the people, the core audience that's been going for years, there's not going to be 28 in a year put on by one company. Or maybe we're totally wrong. We're prognosticating here. But it does seem like this one, I got to wonder... I'm really going to think if there's a next year, it's a make or break year for them. It's got to be because each year it's less. And I see the same cosplayers every year, too. It's really weird. It feels like I was just here doing this con. It feels like it was two months ago, not a year ago. And the same costumes, several of the same vendors. But there were a handful of vendors, like six that I was specifically looking for that never came back this weekend. Maybe they're at another convention closer to where they're based, but they're not in St. Louis. Well, it's a big holiday weekend. Pretty much the whole eastern half of the country has had a really crappy winter. It's been cold and or snowy. This is like the first nice weekend we've had. And so since we don't have a whole lot of news here from Wizard World, we're going to bring like most of the Star Wars action news team to bring you the news this week. And starting off with the store report is our On the Pegs reporter, Jonathan.
Hello, and welcome to On the Pegs, where we discuss what's being found in stores and online. I'm Jonathan, and since celebration, there seems to have been a steady stream of new items available both in local brick-and-mortar stores and from e-tailers. The latest wave of 3 and 3 quarter inch Black Series figures has started surfacing. I've gotten reports of people receiving their pre-orders, as well as finding them at both Target and Toys R Us. I myself ordered a number of them from Hasbro Toy Shop, and I was lucky enough to get them at the $9.99 price before they jumped up to $12.99. I also today found a few at Target. And before everybody starts going, well, I'm not going to spend the $12 or the $14 to buy these figures at Target, let me tell you what happened to me today. I did find figures that I needed, and I figured nothing ventured, nothing gained, So I went up to the cashier and I asked if they price matched. The cashier looked at me and goes, well, do you have documentation of the price for these figures someplace else? So I pulled out my iPhone, looked up the Toys R Us website, and showed her the Black Series figures. Obviously not the Black Series figures I found, but Black Series figures for $9.99. She looked at them and accepted the price and made the adjustment. So I got figures for the more acceptable price of $9.99. Although I'll tell you, I never thought that $9.99 for a figure would be considered acceptable by me. In the 6-inch Black Series line, people have started reporting finding the latest wave, the one with Emperor Palpatine, Luke Skywalker and Stormtrooper outfit, and a clone trooper captain at brick-and-mortar stores. I haven't found them yet, but it's really only a matter of time. I don't know about anyone else, but I've never really seemed to have trouble finding these figures. While we're talking about the Black Series 6-inch line, the latest deluxe figures, Han Solo with Tauntaun and Luke Skywalker with Wampa, are set to be released any day now. I think for these, I'm going to skip the pre-order and just wait to find them in stores. And I may even wait till they go on sale. I'm doing this because by me, the shelves are still quite well stocked with the last deluxe figures, Jabba and the Speeder Bike and Scout Trooper. For those fans of the Rebels figures, Targets by me have consistently been restocking the Mission Series pack. I've repeatedly seen both the Sabine and Stormtrooper and the Hera and Stormtrooper Commander figures, which just a few short weeks ago were almost impossible to find. When you're at Toys R Us, you may want to go check out the Lego section as there are a number of new sets there. First we have the Imperial Assault Carrier. It comes with six minifigures, an Imperial Astromech droid, a Sabine Wren with a helmet this time, Agent Callus, an Imperial officer, and two TIE pilots. This has 1,216 pieces and retails for a whopping $139.99. The next two sets are based on Episode 1. We have the Naboo Starfighter that comes with a Battle Droid Commander, two Battle Droids, an Obi-Wan Kenobi, an Anakin Skywalker, a Naboo pilot, and an R2-D2. This one has 442 pieces and retails for $54.99. Next we have the Flash Speeder, which comes with two battle droids, a Naboo security officer, Captain Tarples, and a Naboo security guard. This one has 312 pieces and retails for $26.99. Lastly, we have my favorite of these new sets, the Imperial Shuttle Tiderium. This one has 937 pieces and comes with five what looks like new minifigures. A Chewbacca, a Princess Leia in Endor gear, a Han Solo in trench coat, and two Endor Rebel Troopers. This one retails for $104.99. Altogether, a pretty good selection. Well, I hope you got out to the LEGO May the 4th events. Myself, I was able to go to my local Toys R Us where my children were able to build miniature Wookiee gunships. That was quite a nice little giveaway. 
and I ordered some new LEGO sets online from LEGO.com and was able to receive the exclusive Admiral Yularen and LEGO Star Wars movie posters. Lastly, I just found another one of the mini sets today from Star Wars Rebels. This is a TIE Advanced prototype. It comes with 47 pieces, is about $5, and, as I've said before, is great for keeping younglings amused while at a restaurant. Fans of Star Wars Hot Wheels have a lot to look at. As I talked about last time, the latest two character cars, the Chopper and the Boba Fett, are available, and I've seen them en masse at my local Walmart. I also found another new two-pack of cars, a Darth Vader and Obi-Wan pack. It's kind of neat, because while we got the Darth Vader car before, the Obi-Wan is kind of an old-fashioned car looking from, like, the 1920s. Also popping up, are a new line of mini die-cast Hot Wheels ships. Their first wave are the Millennium Falcon, the Ghost, Y-Wing Fighter, Rebel Snowspeeder, and Slave One. Now, looking at these, I'm actually pretty impressed with the detail. I think they're as good or better than what we were getting from the Titanium series. I'm looking forward to seeing what else they put out in this line. But the big surprise this week was the very unexpected release of the cancelled Legacy Collection Droid Factory figures. If you remember, when they were phasing out the Vintage Collection in 2013, the original plan was to bring back the Droid Factory figures. But when it was decided that they were too expensive, most of the figures were slotted into the first few waves of the Black Series. The next interesting chapter to this tale is when Amazon released an exclusive wave of figures in the Legacy Collection packaging with the Build-A-Droid pieces. Those figures included Sunfac, a Clone Trooper, a Sand Trooper, a Battle Droid, FA-4, and a Black Squadron TIE Pilot. These figures came with pieces so that you could put together a TC-70 droid. Then came the news that the cancelled figures were being found at the Go Calendar and toy stores in the US and the Home and Bargain stores in the UK. And what was interesting is that these were not packaged the same as the previously released Amazon way. There were scattered reports of people going into the Go Calendar stores and finding these figures for a whopping $20 a pop. But the stores didn't seem to have the complete wave of 12 figures. People found bits and pieces, and then they were going for insane money on eBay. But then out of the blue came word that the Go Calendar's website was selling full cases of 12 figures. Included in this assortment are R2-D2, Luminara Unduli, a Battle Droid, a Scout Trooper, a Clone Trooper Sergeant, a Sand Trooper, Anakin Skywalker, Padme Amidala, Pablo Jill, a TIE Fighter Pilot, now called a TIE Fighter Pilot instead of the Black Squadron Pilot, Sun Fac, and an Episode 3 Clone Trooper. What's interesting is that they didn't have the Pilot Droid carded because he's one of the two figures that you can build from the Build Droid. Now, if you're not a carded variation collector like yours truly, you could probably stand to skip these. As I said, these have all been released before in one form or another. If you have the Black Series releases and you have the Amazon exclusive set, I can see no differences between those figures and the ones in this release. And another thought, these are being produced in much larger numbers than we originally were led to believe, which kind of makes me think that we may see these in the future at places like TJ Maxx, Marshalls, or even Five Below. Anyway, that's all I have for this week. Until next time, keep searching those pegs.
Thank you, Jonathan. Always interesting. I am so jealous that you got those figures at the calendar store. I literally have that set up with a program to refresh every 30 seconds all day every day and play a sound if that changes to in stock because I've been looking on eBay for those Droid Factory figures and some of them are going $100 for the individual figure. The norm is around 50 to 75 an individual figure, but I've seen the Padme's listed for 100. The full cases are listed at 400 starting with a reserve and like a 600 buy it now. The just the set of 6 has a 500 buy it now. It is crazy. If anybody happened to get an extra set and can help out, let me know. I'm they weren't cheap to begin with. Speaking of toys that aren't cheap, we've got a resident hot toy expert, Andrew, who's going to review the Hot Toy Stormtrooper. Yeah, just think, I could have gotten both Hot Toy Stormtroopers for less than eBay is charging for a case of those new figures. So, Andrew, tell me what I can buy for less money. Hey, everybody. Andrew here, and I'm back to talk to you about the latest entry into my Hot Toys collection, the Stormtrooper 2-Pack. Now, if you saw our Hot Toys coverage from Star Wars Celebration, you heard me say that I am not going to troop-build Hot Toys. So why would I need to get a 2-Pack? Well, besides the exclusive accessories that we'll get to later, the 2-Pack is actually two different troopers. One is about a half-inch shorter than the other. So it's a different character, right? Right. Let's, let's just go with that. Now, just to recap, these were the third and fourth figures announced in the new Movie Masterpiece series. The first two, Han and Chewbacca, still haven't shipped. And the fifth one to be announced was the Shadow Trooper, which ended up being the first one to ship. As you'll recall, Arnie, Marjorie, and I reviewed that figure back in episode 446. And, not surprisingly, that figure is basically just a repaint of the taller of the two Stormtroopers. So all of the great sculpting details are the same on these figures. What is different, though, is the paint. Obviously, right? Like the Shadow Trooper, this figure is super glossy. And that may actually be a slight detriment this time around. One of the things that we mentioned with the Shadow Trooper was that because they purposefully painted on scuff marks, we are less likely to actually notice any real scuffs. Well, since these sculptures are all kinds of shiny white, it was very easy for me to notice a couple of scuffs on one of his legs and some chipped paint on one of the helmets. And that same helmet also had some poorly trimmed plastic bits around one of the auditory sensors. Luckily, I was able to carefully scrape off the scuffs with a toothpick, but I have contacted Sideshow about getting a replacement helmet for the chipped one. So, if you're keeping score at home, since I had that broken grenade canister with my Shadow Trooper, I've had a problem with two out of the three figures I've received thus far. Now, I'm not saying that I'm starting to regret my decision of so far being all in on Hot Toys. Sideshow has been really good about taking care of me, but it's definitely not a trend that I'm overly fond of. Speaking of the grenade canister and the shiny white armor, if you get a Stormtrooper, either the single or the two-pack, be very careful when you slide the metal clips of that grenade canister over the back of the belt. Because they are metal and the armor underneath the belt is shiny white plastic, the clips can leave little scratches on the armor. I would even go so far as to recommend taking the canister off whenever you're posing the figure's upper body just to make sure you don't damage that armor. 
These troopers also have the same articulation as the Shadow Trooper, which is to say that it is mostly great other than some limitations caused by that armor that it wears, including the head popping off if you try to turn it too far over his shoulder. And this limited neck articulation makes it pretty impossible to pose the trooper using the exclusive DLT-19 heavy blaster rifle to snipe rebel scum. One of the questions I had about the second, shorter trooper was how they would do the armor. I wondered if they would create smaller armor plates to better fit the shorter body type. Nope. It's made up of the exact same pieces as its taller counterpart. This causes a little bit of an issue around the midsection as the chest piece overlaps the abdomen armor and restricts his movement in that area. And once you add the belt, well, you can barely even see the abdomen armor at all, and this almost makes the figure look a bit stockier than the other. And the feet have the same dislocated ankle look as the Shadow Trooper if you don't arrange it just so. And because the feet are now white, they kind of remind me of Cousin Eddie's shiny leather shoes from Christmas Vacation. But that's all the negative I have to say about these figures, and they're all pretty minor. Once the figures are posed, they look great, especially when you get good lighting reflected off that shiny armor. It has great paint detail on the helmet and the abdomen armor, but seeing as how it's pretty much the only paint on the whole figure, the rest of the look depends solely on just how pretty that glossy white armor looks. And with some really good display lights, these figures will look really sharp. The single trooper offering comes with seven additional hands, and the two-pack comes with doubles of those same hands. Both figures also come with an E-11 blaster rifle and an SE-14C blaster pistol both of which fit in the leather holster attached to the utility belt. I'm not entirely sure why the pistol is included, as we never see a stormtrooper with one of those, but maybe the trooper in Cloud City held one of these sideways to dismantle C-3PO, gangsta style. If you bought the exclusive 2-pack, you also get a mouse droid that has some really good detail bits on its side and top and looks very accurate to the way it appears on film. And it's got a little tail hook that, honestly, I never even knew existed until now. You could almost see one of the trooper's kids tying a string to it and pulling it around behind him like a little toy puppy. Of course, now, back in 2014, when images of these first arrived online during the opening of Hot Toys' secret base store, I immediately thought I knew what we would be getting as an exclusive accessory. Looking at these two troopers standing next to each other, it becomes very evident that these would make perfect Luke and Han in Stormtrooper disguises. One is the standard height, while the other is too short for a stormtrooper. I would have sworn that we'd be looking at exclusive swap-out heads of our two daring rescuers. It's even more obvious due to one of the exclusive accessories we do get, the DLT-19 heavy blaster rifle that we see Han carrying down the Death Star hallway on their way to the detention level. This heavy blaster is probably my favorite part of these figures. Why? Because it has moving parts! It's not just there to convince me to buy two Stormtroopers at the same time, they really put a lot of detail into it and the results are a really cool blaster. It has sights that pop up in a fold-out stand for sniping, and these all feel very similar to the fold-out stock that is on the standard blaster rifle that we got with the Shadow Trooper, but what puts this blaster over the top is that its loading mechanism is actually spring-loaded. Now I know that's not really practical when you pose your figure, the trooper isn't going to be able to pull it back, obviously, but it's a great little detail that I was surprised to find. Another surprise was an accessory that I didn't even know was included. A gun rack to display all your heavy blaster rifles. The rack itself is really simple and feels like a cheap add-on, but since it wasn't even listed as an included accessory, I can't really complain too much. And while right now it looks a little silly with only the one rifle, but with the space trooper coming with a T-21 light repeating blaster, and the Sand Trooper coming with a T-21 and a DLT-19, 
it'll be nice to have a way to display them while they're not being wielded by their troopers. I actually prefer the figure stand that comes with these stormtroopers over the single colored one that the shadow trooper stands on. The grill is a dark red and has some little scuff marks painted on it, which really helps to make the mundane stand look a little less mundane. I still think it'd look cool to have a lighted effect come up through the grill and really help articulate it more, and the added light would only enhance the glossy armor. Now I am still a little disappointed that my prediction of swappable heads didn't come to fruition, but always in motion is the future. You can guarantee that I'll try to put Han's head on the taller trooper when the smuggler arrives later this summer. And there's a new Hope Luke coming in the future too, as revealed by Hot Toys' Facebook page on May the 4th. So if we're lucky, the heads will be compatible, so we can have what the Stormtrooper 2-pack is obviously supposed to represent, without having to buy another 2-pack later on down the road. Hopefully it won't come with any special exclusive accessories that'll convince me to buy it as well. Even if the Han and Luke heads aren't compatible, I'm looking forward to setting up that scene of them walking down the hall with Chewie as he scares off that poor little mouse droid. And that's probably the best part about these early offerings. Sure, we don't have a 1-6 scale Boba Fett, a Greedo for Arnie, or a Jar Jar for Marjorie, but I really like how their first run of figures all work together and will be easy to display in different groupings to make up a number of scenes from A New Hope. Next to ship will be the Han and Chewbacca set in July. I'm really looking forward to getting something other than a variation on a Stormtrooper, and I'm anxious to see and feel how Chewie's mane turns out. So until then, this is Andrew, signing off as I send you back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Andrew, and sorry, Michelle. The more he talks, the more you should be sorry for yourself, because those are enticing. Although, Andrew, it sounds like you have some real bad luck getting some broken figures. No, this is what happened to you. Remember all the hot toys you've had that I've had problems with? That's true. But it's been a while since I've had one. She knocks on wood. Speaking of wood, wood makes paper. And paper is used for books in old times. Which is a horrible segue to Brock's review of the new Star Wars novel, Lords of the Sith. This is Brock, Star Wars Action News Book Club Liaison, with a spoiler-free-as-possible review of Star Wars, Lords of the Sith by Paul S. Kemp. Review copy courtesy of Delray Books. Eight years after the Clone Wars, a small band of rebels on the planet of Ryloth are making trouble for the Empire with targeted attacks, jeopardizing the Empire's hold of this crucial planet. The Emperor decides to make an example of Ryloth and agrees to accompany Darth Vader and Orn Frita to the planet. Upon hearing both Vader and the Emperor are scheduled to arrive, Cham Saidula, leader of the Twi'lek Freedom Fighters, devises a plan to assassinate the heads of the Empire. Cham and his team will soon learn they have underestimated the resourcefulness of the Emperor and Darth Vader, just as the Emperor and Darth Vader quickly learn they have underestimated Cham and the Ryloth Rebels, as their Star Destroyer is surprisingly well attacked as they approach the planet. And that is how the adventure begins in Star Wars Lords of the Sith. Star Wars Lords of the Sith is a welcome return of fan-favorite author Paul S. Kemp to the Star Wars universe. You can find my reviews of some of his previous Star Wars works in the archives section at SWActionNews.com, 
Based on those previous books, I knew that even if I didn't care for the plot of this new novel, I was going to get some great writing, solid character work, and good Star Wars action. Well, thankfully, I got all that and more, and I was able to enjoy this entire package. Mr. Kemp was able to use what amounts to a very simple story of a coordinated attack on the leaders of the Empire to give us an action-packed novel with prose that just pops off the page. Now, I say a simple story because Lords of the Sith has one storyline simultaneously told from three to four different perspectives. So it's similar to Star Wars movies where we see what different people or groups are doing for a bit, then switch to another plot line. But here, it's the same story, same plot line. We just check in on different factions and what they're doing. And as a result, the book has a smaller feel, but gets quite intense at times, which is a nice trade-off for missing a larger sweeping scope. And peppered in, you will read how the author maximizes opportunities to create brief, efficient character moments that feel organic to the story, not tangential or shoehorned in. The assassination attempt is the key to the book because it is the entire book, literally. Once it starts, it does not stop until the book concludes. It provides a terrific spine for this novel, driving the action, always keeping it moving, and allowing the flexibility to slow down for the smaller moments. The assassination attack of the Star Destroyer amazingly lasts for chapters. As the damage keeps coming, the author expertly describes the cacophony of trouble the Empire finds themselves in, with my mind immersed with imagery of dogfights, explosions, space debris flying everywhere, waves of fighters coming in, blast radius issues, overwhelming odds. I loved how Darth Vader started to figure out what his antagonists were going to do next, and then realizing he was too late to stop it. <laughs> and the attack continues as they all make their way planetside as the Imperials land and head for their outpost. The action scenes are well-paced, well-written, and, a heads up, have a lot of deaths. There is slaughtering going on here with lightsabers, point-blank blaster shots to the back of people's heads, more of a body count and descriptive gore than you would expect, but thankfully the plentiful visceral carnage is not abrasively gruesome. Lords of the Sith is another one-off story that doesn't make grand continuity moves with this new canon, just like the other recent books in the EU reboot. Yet this book is the most successful novel so far in creating some connective tissue within the new canon. There is Clone Wars-era tech like Buzz Droids and Vulture Droids being used by the Royaloth Rebels, mixing it up with the newer Imperial Starfighters. Some of you may recognize the name Cham Saidula as he makes appearances in the Clone Wars cartoon, and is revealed here that he has a connection to the current Star Wars cartoon, Star Wars Rebels, he is Hera's father. Need to see that apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. The idea of making the kind of move against the Empire that Cham's group attempts here, the right timing for that sort of thing, was brought up in another recent Star Wars novel as well as in the first season of Rebels, and to see it here can be thought of as a lesson learned. And there's plenty more. There are connections to the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy that are not just bad line lifts or reminisces strategically placed to elicit canned emotion. No, they play a role here in the character development of Darth Vader. The prequel material that doesn't always play well on the screen is given new life as Palpatine constantly tests Darth Vader's loyalty to him, the Empire, and the Dark Side as he is wanting Vader to bury those memories of his past. That it's a weakness that means he isn't completely loyal. The Emperor's mind games are sick. There's a key moment where Vader admits to the Emperor it crossed his mind for a moment to betray his master before he made the opposite choice to protect him. The relationship between the Emperor and Darth Vader was a highlight of the book for me, for sure. The author writes Vader beautifully in this novel, taking care to show us the cruel, brutal enforcer, the clever pilot, the strategic general, the sad man in an iron lung suit who has lost so much, and the constant slave, now to his Sith Master's bidding. 
Vader gets some terrific lines in here, right up there with the ones in Empire Strikes Back. And when he is in action, it is like the Force Unleashed video game, how he dispatches his enemies. Kemp also gives us moments of Vader's introspection. For example, the book opens up with some great stuff of Vader's connection to his armor that elicits strong emotional resonance. Kemp plays with the many angles of the Emperor as well. The false front public persona, the terrifying Sith Lord, the manipulative master. All the while we see him maintain his cunning focus of the big picture. And the man makes some cold statements. The Emperor's calculating ways are put to good use here. We even see him come across as charming and old and feeble and polite and gentle to some of the locals. And then, not a few scenes later, we see him throw down with Vader. At one point, back to back with him, lightsabers drawn, and mowing down a pack of creatures. It's some chilling stuff. Some of the best Palpatine stuff since the Darth Plagueis novel. Champ Saidula is a character I hope we get to see more of sometime. I feel he could fit in well with the rebellion leadership we know from the movies. When we first meet Cham, he's telling himself, like a mantra, he's not a terrorist, but a freedom fighter. And that sentence spoke volumes to me, giving me an instant window into understanding this man and his mission. It is awesome we see him deal with doubt, showing us Cham is a thoughtful and insightful leader. The other rebel we spend the most time with is Isfel, a former dancing slave with a serious revenge complex. Isfel's actions are a nice counterpoint to Cham's, as they both want the same thing, but don't always agree on the best way to achieve it. Cham and the Emperor share the same struggle in that they know the importance of not only achieving the goal, but the importance in how you go about doing it. That's why the Emperor comes to Ryloth, and that's why Cham doesn't just go around killing everybody or sacrifice his own people to kill the Emperor. It's an unexpected yet gratifying parallel between two very different characters. Bel Cordray, the ambitious Imperial officer, his passages were my least favorite. He serves a definite purpose and is quite functional for the plot, yet I found it hard to connect at all to this character. Once the Emperor and Darth Vader are on the planet's surface, the Belcor passages became more and more tedious. One persistent complaint as the book went on was how the rebel characters in this book, especially Isfel, were constantly bewildered with Vader's superhuman abilities to take out dozens of men or survive direct attacks in a ship or choking her without touching her from many feet away. Now, what is surely frustrating to them, and a brilliant move by the author to include their frustration, if Vader and the Emperor weren't Force users, if they were normal men, you would see it is conceivable. The Rebels' plan actually almost works. They are humorously naive to what Vader and the Emperor are capable of at the beginning of the book, but surely they could have figured out Vader was a Force user after they saw him in action, and yet they keep going, tenaciously attempting to kill Vader and the Emperor. I found Star Wars Lords of the Sith to be the most satisfying book of the EU reboot to date. An exciting, fun read packed with Star Wars mythos, good character beats, terrific action scenes in space and on land, some good use of pre-existing materials, and full of characters that show us how strong and flawed they are throughout. Lords of the Sith gives me renewed hope of what is to come as we get deeper into this new EU and as we approach The Force Awakens. A definite recommend for Lords of the Sith. For Star Wars Action News and the Star Wars Action News Book Club, this is Brock. Now back to Arnie and Marjorie. Thank you, Brock. I'm glad that you used the paper that was made out of wood to read that book. <laughs> I'm actually just glad that Paul S. Kemp is still writing for the universe because Paul S. Kemp was one of the writers who had done some really interesting stuff that's now Legends. I really loved what he was doing. It was really visceral and 
almost kind of horror-tinged. And so seeing him and John Jackson Miller, two of my favorite authors from back then, carried forward into the new continuity is great. And Christy Golden, I can only hope that a few other friends are still going to be doing Star Wars in the near future. And speaking of having fun, I'm hoping that at the Star Wars Fan Fun Days in Burnley, the Ginger Prince had a much more Star Wars-filled time than we've had here at Wizard World. So now here's Steve with that report from May the 4th. Greetings all, this is Steve the Ginger Prince and core blimey Gavner. It's been a while since I've had the pleasure of being in your ears. In fact, the last time I spoke to you, we didn't even know what a Jakku was. Anyway, before I get into the main thrust of what I have to say, like the deserving Oscar winner, I have some thank yous to air. Firstly, I'm sure you all remember episode 434 of the show. You know, the Holy Grail episode. Well, it turned out to be a special one for me. I described two grails on that show. A figurative grail and a literal grail. And totally against any expectations that I had, not too long after the show, due to the kindness of two absolute legends, I was to be in possession of both. Thanks go first to your host and mine, Arnie, for picking me up my actual grail cup, the Admiral Akbar Dixie Cup. It's going to be a fine addition to both my Akbar Shrine and my Star Wars Dixie Cup collection. Then thanks go to Swan listener Neil for doing the absolutely amazing and helping me get my hands on an item autograph by the maker himself, George Lucas. I've got over 250 Star Wars autographs and this now takes pride of place at the top of the pile. The generosity and helpfulness of the listeners at Star Wars Action News never ceases to amaze me. Collecting karma is real and in action in our community. Talking about generous helpful folks, I also need to tip my hat to the staff members who helped me out recently. If I'm honest, I was dreading celebration Anaheim, being stuck at home whilst the biggest party in the galaxy took place without me. And then two amazing things happened. Firstly, the good people running the show decided to broadcast over 30 hours of coverage straight into my living room, which along with my Twitter feed went a long way to making me feel like I was right at the con with the rest of you. Secondly, about a week after, a con care package arrived courtesy of Daryl Chris et al. And wow, I don't deserve how well you guys look after me. I've got more swag for Celebration Anaheim than the cons that I've actually been to. Thanks guys, you're the best. Right, enough of the loving. Time for some reporting. It was awfully nice of whoever decides on the UK calendar to schedule May the 4th with a bank holiday. And then even nicer of organiser Neil Livesey to sort out the 8th annual Star Wars Fan Fun Day for the same day. Woohoo! A convention that I can actually attend for once. It was a nice drive up through a surprisingly sunny Lancashire to Turf Moor, the home of soon-to-be-relegated Burnley Football Club, and as usual, the venue for the day. We'd bought our entry wristbands early, and thank the maker we did. The queues were big. Big. A testament to this event's growing reputation, and I wanted to get in at opening time to sniff out some cool stuff. Our half-an-hour wait in line until opening time was livened up with some wonderful cosplay that ranged from Tuscans to Troopers, and everything in between. We also got some free tops cards, but when the man on the megaphone marshalling the queue said it was half ten, then we were glad to get in bang on opening time. If I'd have tried to guess what my first find of the day was going to be, there's absolutely no way that I'd have managed it. But then again, featuring both Suzanne's and my own collecting foci, it was always going to catch my eye. 
On the first store we got to, a vendor that I didn't recognise, I found set 5 of the Pepsi Star Wars classic bottle cap sets. I'd never even seen any of these before, and certainly didn't know that there were 10 of them made. A bizarre collection of 5 drinks bottle caps fitted on a moulded plastic plinth inside a window box. The guy said he'd got them in Japan, but the packaging didn't have any Japanese language on it. This was a Return of the Jedi set, featuring Milk Tray Man Luke, the Emperor sat on his potty, a well-groomed Chewbacca, and yes, you guessed it, Admiral Akbar and Wicket the Ewok. The price he was asking for sounded reasonable to me, so I snapped it up. It's not the start of a new collecting area. In fact, I think three out of five can stay in the box and go in the storage area of my collection in the loft, but the Admiral Bottle Cap will make an admirable addition to my character focus shrine, and Suzanne will claim the Wicket Cap. From the unfamiliar to a much-loved face, our next stop was the stall of good friend Darren from Starzone Toys. Darren only just got back from the States after Celebration Anaheim, and I was again blown away by the kindness of my fellow fans as he gave me a coin commemorating the event. The coin is a thing of beauty, featuring an item that I'd love to own one day, the multicoloured Helix Death Star pencil sharpener that Arnie picked up a while back if I remember correctly. Whilst I hope to one day get the real thing, this coin will more than suffice in the meantime and occupy a special place in my collecting room. Darren was also able to help out with two other items from the US. Suzanne picked up a vinylmation Donald Duck dressed as one of the Empire's quack troops and little did we know that this wasn't going to be the only thing that scratched Suzanne's Disney itch as we shopped. I was able to pick up another of the Star Tots from Celebration Anaheim, the sexy TIE Fighter pilot. So that's 10 down and 10 to go. It's going to be a fun hunt tracking the rest of these little fellas down to ensure that I own every Star Tot ever made. Our next stop was at another friendly vendor, Three Darths. Here I was able to pick up the only Series 2 Lego Micro Fighter that I was interested in picking up, the Snowspeeder. I picked up four ships from Series 1, the X-Wing, Falcon, TIE Fighter and Star Destroyer, but Series 2 seems to be full of prequel stuff and I've decided that I'm only going to pick up the original trilogy microfighters. I know there's also an ATAT in this series, but I don't like it, it looks wrong. The spaceships are cute. The Snowspeeder is like all the other sets, a cool little ship and a figure to sit in it. If you'd have explained the concepts of these microfighters to me, I'd think they wouldn't work, but they do, and they're incredibly fun to build. In fact, as soon as I got back to the Cloud City collecting room, I built this bad boy in about 10 minutes flat. At the next stall, another familiar vendor called Hunter Toys, I found a couple of oddities that I just had to pick up. The first curious little find was a custom figure that really tickled my fancy. Mayo was a cantina alien from A New Hope that to my knowledge wasn't made in 3 and 3 quarter inch plastic until the original trilogy collection came out, you know with that cantina encounter version, and I don't think it's been made since. I was surprised to see him then on a vintage style card for a tenor. The quality of this custom work is good, with a punch card featuring the classic 12 back design and a glorious close up of the cyclops looking dude on the front. The bubble is poorly glued on, but apart from that it looks quite authentic, especially if viewed from a bit of a distance. I'm not sure which existing figure provides his body, but it's painted in two different tones of green, and he comes with a blaster sellotaped to the inside of the bubble. His head looks like an existing figure's head that's been modified, and the paint job on it's quite impressive. I love odd stuff like this. It's great to put in alongside the more run-of-the-mill stuff in your collection room, to surprise and delight, and it was worth £10 of anyone's money in my humble opinion. The second oddity cost me £5 more, but again in my opinion was well worth it. From a company I've never heard of before called Crazy Toys, I found a two pack of vintage style stormtroopers, one in classic white and one in shadow black. The figures came in a fitting plastic tray, slid onto a nice little backing card. 
They're both pretty accurate three and three quarter inch representations of the original Kenner Stormtrooper, bar the fact that one of them, of course, is one of Black Hole's boys. Each comes with a blaster, and they remind me of that old McCartney song. Ebony and ivory live together in perfect harmony. Side by side in my figure cabinet. Oh, Sith Lord, why can't we? The Shadow Stormy is matte black all over, except for his bucket, which has great silver accents, and they both come with a blaster, which is nice. Mixed in with the vendors were a few artists, including Nick Brokenshire, who was hard at work creating some nice Force Awakens pieces, including a lovely little BB-8. Suzanne's eye was taken by the work of a young lady we'd not seen before, called Gemma May. Amongst her prints were some original pieces, including some small rebel symbol watercolours, where the symbol had been filled in with another image. Suzanne found one with the Disney Princess Castle in. I really like the design too, and I think it'd make a great tattoo. It's a perfect union of one of the most iconic symbols of the saga with one of the most iconic symbols of our new Murine overlord. Having acquired art and toys, we moved on to tackle the autograph area and meet a quarter of the whopping 16 signing guests that were in attendance. Our first signer was fellow Mancunian and original trilogy legend, Ken Colley. The man behind Captain or should that be Admiral Piet? Ken was a lovely chap, who I couldn't help but feel sorry for, as he looked totally underprepared, and without a handler was floundering a bit. We chatted about the area he grew up in, and how much it had changed since he was a lad. We then had to wait ages in the queue for our second signer, behind a couple of over-enthusiastic Belgians, who seemed to have brought every bit of Episode 1 merchandise ever created for Andrew Lorden to sign. Andrew who? Andrew Lorden. He played a Naboo officer but was then upgraded to be Liam Neeson's stunt double when they realised that he had the same build and he could wear a wig. Andrew was a hoot and he seemed to be buzzing off the day. We just couldn't shut him up. He excitedly wrote all over the 10x8 that I gave him and started playing with lightsabers and telling us all about the training that Nick Gillard had given him. Our third signer was new to the old convention game, with this being the first time that she's ever been an autograph guest. Eileen Roberts, or Eileen Belson, one was a maiden name and one was a married name, I'm, I'm not sure which was which, played the odd-looking alien Moset Benid in A New Hope. She was a lovely lady and seemed to be enjoying her first experience, saying that she would definitely sign again. It's always great to get people who were involved in the original trilogy involved in the autograph circuit. They deserve a bit of the attention and a slice of the Star Wars pie. Our final signer was the exotic model Kamei Lau, who played Terence Stamp's aide in Episode 1. Kamei didn't have a good grasp of the Queen's, so we didn't spend long chatting. She also charged for a photo separate to the autograph, which for me is incredibly poor form, but a necessity, as I always like to slide a photo in the autograph holder with a signed 10x8 as proof that I've met the person. Before leaving, we made sure we took in all the cosplay on show. My favourites were Admiral Thrawn, complete with Ysalamir, and a rather portly Death Star gunner. We also spent some time watching a live model maker and viewing examples of his finished work, including a rather impressive Yavin 4 hangar diorama. We also had a chance to catch up with Evertoni and Phil, who's organising Mersey Comic Con, taking place at the Liverpool Guild of Students on the 30th of May. Another great event that we hope to be present at. Right, that's enough from me, but I'll be back again soon, as this day out was hopefully the first of a few this year. And you know me, I'm a sharer. Arnie, Marjorie, the stage is once again yours.
Thank you, Steve. And now we're going to talk about another Comic-Con, but it's going to happen in about, oh, two months or so. I know everyone's anxiously awaiting San Diego Comic-Con. And maybe we'll get a tease of some Force Awakens toys at Hasbro or, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But the one thing that we know for certain that's going to happen is the Star Wars Fan Breakfast. That's right. This is the fifth year that we have been running this breakfast. It is unbelievable that it's been that long and it has grown just so much it's the sixth year if you count the year we just had a breakfast with larry and called it the breakfast well what happened was is larry we'd always gone to these breakfasts with him and then when they stopped it we're like what do we do well we should still have breakfast so we had breakfast the first year together at the marriott we had a celebrity guest stan lee he was at two tables away from us eating his oatmeal for breakfast we had a great time and then the wheels started turning and we're like we should just bring it back and do it ourselves. And so we did. And so this is the fifth official year of doing it. And this is crazy. It's become one of the hottest events at Comic-Con. People get vicious about this. And I'm sorry, we can't let everyone in. But I only have so many seats. And once again, we're partnered with Steve Sansweet and Rancho Obi-Wan for this. The breakfast is now a fundraiser for Rancho Obi-Wan, which is a charity, a nonprofit organization. And... This year, because the cost of food has gone up a little bit, and we want to make sure that Rancho Obi-Wan gets a good donation because we want to support that cause, the total cost of breakfast is $10 higher this year. The total cost is going to be a $40. It's $15 per person when you reserve your ticket, and that is a donation made via PayPal. We're collecting it, and it will go all the net proceeds to Rancho Obi-Wan. Then at the door, $25 pays for your breakfast. It's a breakfast buffet. People who have been have raved about the quality and the quantity and variety of the food. Yeah, they usually do a great job for us, and it's a buffet, so you can go back as many times as you want. I don't care if you stay there two hours and eat the entire time. You can do that. It includes your drink, there's coffee and juice, and it includes gratuity. So I think that's a pretty good deal for breakfast, especially in San Diego during Comic-Con. You really can't find breakfast cheaper than that. No, I talked to the manager of the Edgewater Grill, who we've worked with now for five years. She actually had just pre-reserved the day expecting us to come. And she's really working with us to keep it affordable for Star Wars fans because they have so much fun. And as always, they open early for us for this breakfast. The doors open to attendees at 7.30 in the morning, so that way you can get in, get breakfast, and still get to the con by maybe 9 if you kind of rush it so that you can be there when the floor opens or a certain show opens. We're usually there till about 10, and then other guests start to filter in, but it is closed for a private event, the Star Wars Fan Breakfast, until then. And we're letting listeners of Star Wars Action News know this first, that Monday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, the page to place your ticket order will go live. The URL is swactionnews.com forward slash 2015 breakfast. And that's all spelled out, B-R-E-A-K-F-A-S-T, all lowercase. And when you go to that page at 9 o'clock, maybe 9.01 Eastern, that's when the form will go live. That is going for just you guys first. Then on Tuesday morning sometime, but definitely at least 12 hours after the page has gone live. We'll put it to Facebook, we'll put it to Twitter, and we'll let the 
unofficial San Diego Comic-Con blog know because they were the ones who really made this blow up. But we just want to give you guys, our loyal listeners, the ones who listen the day the show comes out, the first shot at this. And yeah, if you're a party of one, this is a great place to meet new people and talk Star Wars. Everyone has a love of Star Wars. There will be prizes. We're not quite sure what yet, but listen to future shows. We'll announce them as we go or go back to the breakfast page. And we're going to post who the donors of prizes are. We know already that we have one hot prize. We have the Hallmark exclusive from Celebration this year. That's right. Only at Celebration could you get this ornament. And the lines were crazy. But if you come to Comic-Con, I imagine that you'll see some booths with it. I've seen Hallmark ornaments here from Comic-Con and Celebration at 100, 125. But we will be giving it away to one lucky attendee at that breakfast. That is one confirmed prize, and we're going to have more, as we always do. You have to be present at the time your ticket is drawn to win. So if you show up late, you might have missed. If you leave early, you might miss out. But we have given away so many prizes that Marjorie and I actually don't even sit down at the breakfast. I've become a barker calling out numbers because in the past we've had so many prize donations, and we're hoping to repeat that again this year. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of prizes usually. I don't know what we're going to get this year, but, you know, we do rely on the donations of the lovely companies that we work for, and it's always a lot of fun to sit and meet people too. Absolutely. So, again, that page goes live at 9 p.m. Eastern. And then we will be back in two weeks with another episode. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you for listening to Star Wars Action News. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can be on the next episode of Star Wars Action News by calling our voicemail at 415-508-JEDI or sending an MP3 or iPhone voice memo to show at SWActionNews.com. All materials submitted are subject to use on our show. We want your feedback on Star Wars Action News. You can email us at show at SWActionNews.com or post your thoughts in the Star Wars Action News forums at SWActionNews.com the most friendly forums on the web. You can also find Star Wars Action News on Facebook and Twitter. The links to our social media sites are at SWActionNews.com. You can see more videos and reviews by subscribing to the Star Wars Action News YouTube channel. You can find the link from our homepage. If you enjoyed the show, please post about Star Wars Action News on Facebook, Twitter, or your social media network of choice, or just tell a friend about the show. We would also greatly appreciate a five-star written review on iTunes. A link to our iTunes feed is at SWActionNews.com. If you also enjoy Marvel Comics, you can hear Arnie and Marjorie talk about the toys and statues based on Marvel Comics characters on the Marvelicious Toys podcast at MarveliciousToys.com. Star Wars Action News is created, produced, edited, and hosted by Marjorie and Arnie. Star Wars Action News podcast video enhancement by Andrew, Daryl, Josh, and Barrett. Star Wars Action News website designed by Jason. Photo editing by Jay. Graphic design by Chris. Associate produced and announcements by Brock. Segments hosted by Jerry, Jonathan, Brock, Nathan, and Steve.
For more Star Wars collecting, please check out GalacticHunter.com, JediDefender.com, JediTempleArchives.com, and YakFace.com. And we thank those sites for their support of Star Wars Action News. Star Wars Action News is not affiliated with Lucasfilm Limited. The show is created by Star Wars fans showing their love of Star Wars. Star Wars and all that the Star Wars universe contains is trademark and copyright Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company, all rights reserved. Star Wars Action News is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Until next time, may the pegs be stocked and the force be with you. Star Wars Action News. Now this is podcasting. And this limited Nick art... Nick articulation? What the heck is Nick articulation? Both of which fit in the leather host... Both of which fit in the leather holster... Holster, holster, holster.